Hi, I'm Colin Whiting. I'm Dave Wagner. And this is My Mother the Podcast. Are we ever getting out of this? Uh, we haven't yet. We I... are stuck in the indoors. What's what's scarier? Ending the quarantine and dying in the, the inevitable second wave? Or staying here forever? What's great is that it seems like we're probably going to get both. I don't think we're going to have a choice, frankly, as... I, I think the first is going to happen <laughs> because, oh boy, people are being stupid. People, people, uh, I went for a little walk yesterday and people were just lined up outside a Mexican restaurant. This is just like where I live. It's just permanent spring break. Everybody's just, especially when the weather's been so nice lately, people are just cramming those parks. Like, hey, why do we have the highest number of uh, cases and deaths in Virginia? Oh, because we keep, like, hanging out in the fucking dog park. <laughs> Coughing on each other intentionally. Yeah. Well, we're doing the we're doing the Data Carvey show today. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. It's it's Data Carvey, and it's his show. So it's the Data of, Carvey show. He does a lot of Dana Carvey impressions. He does. He does do some. Probably not as much as ABC wanted hey. him to do. Hey, Dave. Yeah? Do you remember Dana Carvey? Vaguely. Whatever happened to that guy? Well, he had a show from March to April of 1996. <laughs> it did It did rack up an impressive seven episodes. And these are the best impressions that don't sound anything like the people they're impersonating here on My <laughs> Mother the Podcast. David, isn't that like a isn't that a pleasant way to say your name, Colin? <laughs> hi, hi, David. I gotta do the whole podcast like this. You'd be like, yeah, uh, in in like the the radio duo of like, there's always the one screechy high voice guy and the one <laughs> sure, low sure. voice guy. Yeah, uh, you could be that guy. That guy, and he's the lunatic. Oh, oh my god, this wacky. I'm filled with wackiness. Lunatic and the wolf. Wow, in the morning. <laughs> this is going really well. I'm very Boy, happy if you're listening this. to this in the morning, I am sorry. I'm, I'm not. Why are you getting up in the morning? There's no reason. There's no reason. There's a COVID virus. <laughs> you make it sound so welcoming and pleasant. <laughs> sound like that, uh, what's his name from uh, Inside Out? I don't, I barely remember seeing that thing. I <laughs> Very, 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 barely remembers. There's speaking of things that I will remember forever, though the Dana Carvey show's opening sketch. Oh yeah, well, we we have a lot to talk about there. Yeah, we do. Now, I have watched a documentary about this show actually. Really? Called? They Too made a documentary about this. This is how I know about it. It's called Too Funny to Fail. Well, yeah, which is debatable. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Dana Carvey. He was a comedian that if you watch Comedy Central at any point, you've seen no end to his antics. Or if you've seen Saturday Night Live from, what, the late 80s, early 90s, he was 
pretty much the star of the show for a little bit there. He was. It, it, it is. It is impossible to overstate how big a deal Dana Carvey was. Yeah, I mean, especially at this time. I mean, coming out of Saturday Night Live and into this, he was like versatile. He was likable. He was everywhere on that show, and he, like, and he has this like goofy boy energy that just you really wanted him to succeed, and you really everybody liked him. Well, as, as like to paraphrase somebody from the documentary, it's like he, which is all I'm going to do for the course of this, is just That's like repeat thrilling. something that, that you, repeat something that you could watch on Hulu. <laughs> um, his impressions, of which he does many, are not particularly accurate, and like if you don't know who he's impersonating and there's no appearance element, you're you're like lost. You're in the woods, but. He finds like a hook for every person that makes them identifiable. I think that's a, a really important distinction to make for Dana Carvey in particular and for others in general is the the difference between a, an accurate impression uh, in terms of one that, that sounds like the person who is being I- impressioned and, and one that actually gets at imp- doing an impression of actual sort of characteristics, you know, um, the other one that I've heard this said about is Will Ferrell's George W. Bush impression. It's not a particularly accurate impression in terms of how he sounds, but in terms of how people think about George W. Bush, right. it's a very accurate impression of that. And Dana Carvey actually even goes a step further than that in that his impressions are, he he reaches the weirdest possible place for each person that he's doing an impression of. Uh, like his George Bush is nothing like George Bush. But no. it's instantly identifiable, and it makes you actually feel a different way about George Bush than you did. It's very true. I mean, his I I associate with George Herbert Walker Bush, the this this Dana Carvey character who's moving his hands up and down and saying it wouldn't be prudent because he's not I wrong. Associate, yeah, no, yeah, because no, that's that's accurate to who George H. W. Bush is, but it's not accurate to like what sort of things George right. H. W. Bush actually would say or what he sounded like. Yeah, it's just presented in a way that. George Herbert Walker Bush never would, but it's getting at the heart of a thing that there's not really any other way to do. Right. And that's very vague, but I can't think of another way to say it. No, it's like a good translation isn't word for word. A good translation gets across the sense of something. And what he's doing is more of a translation than a sort of word for word literal interpretation of a character. Like the thousand points of light thing. Like Right, right. uh, Dana Carvey describes it as like, he essentially just gets bored doing impressions, and so he just finds, like, a weird angle and just, like, goes with it a thousand percent. So, like, his George Bush started out kind of normal, and then, like, suddenly by the end of it, he's just, like, frantically moving his hands around all <laughs> over the place, like, and pointing at everything. And it still works. Like, it you still know works, exactly. it's much more yeah. interesting than a, a person like, I don't know, like Frank Caliendo, who basically does second-rate impressions Terrible. trying to act like a person awful it, it, he can never live up to the actual person and there's he's not adding anything to it i think i mean i'm i wouldn't say i'm like a big dana carvey fan simply because he hasn't had a lot of output but like i think he's great in general um he has a stand-up special that i've watched probably 20 or 30 times in my life um i it's probably from the early 2000s or something like okay. that 
But yeah, I watched a lot of Saturday Night Live um, in the '90s when Comedy Central would show Saturday Night Lives from the '80s and '90s, and that was my my sort of prime exposure to him was through George H. W. Bush and the Church Lady and uh, oh, yeah, all these other characters for, that he would do. He was every dorky boy's favorite part of that show. Like, of course no he question. Was. Yeah, like I was doing that George Bush impression twenty four seven. So. Um, yeah, so basically he came off of SNL with the world at the comedy world at his feet. Mm-hmm. 1995, I guess it would have been. It would have been, yeah, because this show starts in March 96, so I'm assuming they had to put it together. The typical trajectory for a uh, comedian from SNL, if they're, <laughs> lucky, if they're lucky, if they're very lucky. Extraordinarily lucky. Is late night talk show. Yeah. That's that's one place. I, I, there are a few who have made really strong movie careers also. Yeah, for sure. And there was actually discussion about him taking over um, uh, The Tonight Show, I think. Yeah, I point. would believe it. But instead, he decided to make a very bizarre sketch show that yes. no one would like. I, I have mixed feelings on whether or not anyone would like this or not. Did you happen to see the reviews for this? I did. I looked at the New York Times and maybe the Variety review, and they were not good. They this got murdered. Like it I'm started. Sure it did. To, uh, this it started to turn around by the time the show was ending, um, like you know by episode six or seven or so. But mm-hmm. like this episode in particular, and we watched the pilot because it's pretty infamous. Um, <laughs> This thing, like, was killed critically, and the audience, during the first sketch, like, in the documentary, they show you, like, the Nielsen ratings, and how they did it minute by minute, and it just died. Like, it's a Grand Canyon right in the middle of that sketch, and it never recovers. And that's a real shame, because I actually think that first sketch is one of the funnier things that I've watched for my mother of the podcast, and honestly, probably one of the funnier sketches that I've watched. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think that one is even like. Maybe it's because I've seen the documentary a couple times, but like, yeah, I don't even find that one all that noteworthy anymore. Let alone like, um, I mean, it has a reputation for being one of the most offensive sketches ever made, which so does not before, hold up now. Before we get into that, yeah, sketch, yeah, let's not uh, because I really enjoyed it. I just want to bring up one other point though. When you said nobody was ever going to enjoy this, and and I think in part though that it was the well was a little poisoned here because. Dana Carvey was coming off of Saturday Night Live. Dana Carvey was, and they joke about this extensively in the episode, leaving NBC for ABC. For ABC. And that was a big fucking deal. ABC was like the family channel, et cetera, et cetera. And who owned ABC starting in 1996? The Walt Disney Corporation. Sure did. Um, yeah. So, but... yeah, let's take our edgy sketch comedy show to, to a Disney-owned property. And and that, I think, those, I think, are some pretty fatal missteps. But I also think that the well was a bit poisoned because everyone kept comparing this to Saturday Night Live right. and comparing this to Dana Carvey on Saturday Night Live. Which, to be and fair, what are they supposed to do? They could compare to another show that had just finished out a five-year, 100-episode run that this very much reminded me of. Which was? Kids in the Hall. 
it is way more kids in the hall than SNL. There are some sketches in here that are that I felt might have actually been a little ripped off of kids in the hall. And that's a good point. Um, some of the ones that I like more, you know, that are yeah. my favorite ones, are probably because they're so kids in the hall is. And I feel like if this had come out and that was the general comparison people had made, I still don't know that it would have succeeded, but I think it would have stood a better chance. People were expecting a family-friendly Saturday Night Live, and they weren't going to get that. It also makes me think, what would critics have thought of Kids in the Hall, like, if they gave it the time of day in 1996? They would have ripped it apart. Yeah, it, it aired on on uh, HBO for a while and then CBS, but when it aired on CBS, it was like a late-night show. No and I used to see it on the—in Michigan, I used to see it on the Canadian channel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, uh, right there. And, yeah, so... So should we start talking about this first sketch? I mean, the, the structure of the show well, is pretty straightforward. Well, it's why don't sketches. we... Yeah, why don't we actually talk about, like, what... The talent that this brought in. Uh, oh, because God, that's yeah, kind of God. noteworthy. Yeah, well, our two biggest co-stars, the, the people that get the most sort of secondary roles, are none other than a, a young Steve Carell and a young Stephen Colbert. And you know how this happened? Is that Carell was headlining, um, like, he was a major part of a Second City show when this was casting, and Colbert was his um, his, his understudy. Huh. Yeah. And so, like, they happened to see Colbert on the night that they came to see Carell, <laughs> and they liked Colbert so much they wanted him, too. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure that both of those guys would have succeeded without the show, because honestly... I, I they're, mean, they're not so sure, but... Yeah. Well, that, that's fair. Um, I mean, they're both extraordinarily funny people, and I, I have nothing but love for both of them. But this definitely helped. I mean, this took them and put them in front of a national spotlight on a primetime TV comedy with one of the biggest comedians in the world. It's definitely the first time you'll see them on, t on TV. Um, though, I believe Corral had a... Um, a burger commercial in the eighties. Okay. If you look, but, um, they show Colbert's, um, audition tape for this show at, in the documentary. And basically he's just <laughs> holding his baby talking about how he's not going to be able to feed his baby unless they give him the job. <laughs> well, that works, right? Yeah. And, and like to this day, he's convinced that's what got him the job. And like Dana Carvey's like, no, that was really disturbing. No, it was, well, but it, it, that was disturbing, and then they turn around to make the opening sketch of this show. Yeah, um, so Carell, um, Colbert, Louis C.K., which, who we can't talk about anymore. No, um, but he was a producer of the show, and the he's, he's in, in it. charge of yeah, the writing room. He's in some of the other episodes, I understand. Um, okay. Robert Smigel. Yeah, so Robert Smigel, if you're not as he's not as much of a household name, but uh, he's a big Saturday Night Live guy who started the um, uh, the TV Funhouse Presents series, so the funny little cartoons that Saturday Night Live did in the '90s. He is also the the voice and hand behind Triumph, the insult comic dog. And Smigel has a definite style, and you see it more here than you do probably anywhere else. And what Smigel likes to do is. He very much likes to tell people the joke before the joke happens. <laughs> um, like he'll just he'll he'll introduce it by tell like a sketch by saying this is what the joke is, and then like it'll just be a bunch of repetitions of that joke, and that yeah. is that is Smigel's thing. Yeah, the show had some 
some fucking talent in the writing room also i tell you what so louis ck was in charge of the writing room but also in that room was uh charlie kaufman who did being John which Malkovich is unbelievable yeah. New York. um dave Chappelle briefly had a stint in the writing room here they got a, ri- a writer from seinfeld at one point too yeah i mean it's it's crazy the 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 talent they had going into the show because this both was on screen and off this was totally like a comedy writer show and that like comedy oh, writers yeah. would see it and they'd be like, I want that freedom to do that. You definitely got that impression watching yeah. the show too. This isn't just like something that we're imagining. When you watch this, this is like an insider's show. To its detriment, arguably. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Kids in the Hall gets that way sometimes too. Yeah. I mean, this there's gets a long that way sketch, more. There's a long sketch towards the end of this one that's basically a... Robert Smigel is an ABC producer that's talking about why they're going to let Dana Carvey do his Dana Carvey Saturday Night Live bits, and it drags. But man, is that a great accent on Smigel. Holy shit. (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's get get into it now. We're like 16 minutes in. Let's do it. It's time to actually talk about the show. Yeah. I mean, we've already got like probably a few weeks to live. Let's do this thing. Yeah, fuck it. So we cut to Bill Clinton sitting at the desk in the Oval Office. This is Dana Carvey's Bill Clinton, which is not strong. No, it's not his best. He's He's got a good bush and a good pro. This one isn't really he's, cutting it. But if you see Bill Clinton today, this is very strange. If you see Bill Clinton interviewed today, Bill Clinton's a terrible person. And I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm not saying anything else. That. Bill Clinton is awful. But if you see Bill Clinton interviewed today, he is his kind of giddiness and friendliness is absolutely captured by Dana Carvey's 20 year old imitation, (laughs) which is actually like doubled by the physical imitation Yeah, because Dana Carvey is kind of a skinny guy. And at the time, Bill Clinton was a little puffy, which made Daryl Hammond a perfect choice. But now Clinton's kind of looking sort of, he looks exactly the same as he looks just like Dana Carvey does in, in this 30 year old show. It's like he, Dana, I'm from your future. <laughs> Dana, I'm from your future. And, uh, yeah, so it's another bad impression that somehow gets to the heart of the personality of, like, um, like the smugness and... Um, it's that chumminess mixed chumminess with I will do anything it. to get ahead. Yes. Like, I'm your best friend, and I will throw my wife under the bus in order to succeed politically. But also, like, I'm just fucking the, the king with the big dick. And this starts out with, like, as a very SNL-ish sketch. Um, you know, with some good stuff about, like, Clinton's super cocky about the 1996 election, as well he should have been. He's trying, he's bringing up the other candidates and talking about it, but he keeps busting up laughing. Yeah, um... Political commentary is kind of on point. There's a fairly uh, gross thing about having Hillary Clinton literally locked up now that we've uh, yeah. uh, experienced a few years in between. Um, There's a couple of weird moments like that. There's also a part where this is 96. Yes. You, when he just says he says, no sex stuff, no white water and I'm in. And I was like, oh, boy, yeah. that was all about to get much worse for you in like one year. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, he's basically saying that he can't lose the election um, unless he does something really stupid. No, he describes the other candidates as, and I quote, a 90-year-old guy, some funny-faced millionaire, and Adolf Hitler, and he was not wrong about that. Totally fair. <laughs> That's Dole, Forbes, and Buchanan. That's oh, my what God. That's what were doing in 96. I dare you, audience. Watch 
the characterizations of Pat Buchanan now. Oh boy, it's and, and we'll Marvel, get there. We'll get there. At, yeah, Marvel at the um at how naive this was in comparison oh to what is coming. But oh boy. yeah, so um he he's trying to like be more uh more likable, so he has Hillary Clinton literally locked up in her room. So, yeah, so that she can't cause trouble. It's not comfortable to watch. And that is all to get to the most bonkers <laughs> bullshit that has ever happened. I could not stop laughing. Um, yeah, the first time I saw it, I yeah, I was exactly there. I was just like, what? A, and I knew that this was coming because I'd heard about this controversy and I could not stop. Basically, the, the premise is that without Hillary, he's going to be the father and mother of our nation. Yes. And so he, he's had estrogen yes. implants. Taken estrogen. And now he can breastfeed. <laughs> and not only can he breastfeed, he is breastfeeding. He is a baby this, comes out and he breastfeeds. He the baby. opens his shirt to reveal the most disgusting prosthetic that has ever been made. In two stages, because first he opens the shirt and you see that he's got these prosthetic breasts and he's breastfeeding a baby and you're thinking, this is horrifying. This couldn't possibly get worse. Oh, it and gets then worse. what happens, Dave? And then what happens? Then there's puppies. And then he rips open the rest of the shirt to reveal he's got like 10 nipples. <laughs> Which he then feeds to puppies and kittens. And yes. Um, and people keep bringing out animals to suckle on President Clinton's sort of, estrogen-created breasts. You sort of feel like Dana's sort of losing the plot here, and it's okay. It's crazy. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Um, he starts talking about how he's going to feed the world. You need to watch this. <laughs> it's it's disgusting. Look, I cannot emphasize how much it's gross to look at. And just, I couldn't stop laughing. But it, he, was, it was unbelievable. He's like, see. I invite the American people to suckle on my teats. <laughs> Yes, that's a, it's, he says. He says, "I know this is shocking to you, and I feel your revulsion." He t- that that was my favorite line. It was, "I feel your revulsion." Oh my god! And I was, I was revolted, and I couldn't stop. I'm laughing now. Which nails like both a, a, a an infamous Clinton line and this sketch. Yes, um, and this character, this guy who's willing to do anything to win, and then it means out of this. nowhere. <laughs> and then, he and then also, you're thinking that's where it stops it can't possibly get weirder than that he also ha- he says i have a hen's ass that allows me to hatch eggs <laughs> and he stands up and shows you and there's this giant hen f- backside prosthetic <laughs> hen's ass prosthetic which means he was sitting on that thing for the entire duration of the sketch while he was doing this there's this crap. part too i don't know if you noticed that he picks up the nest that he was sitting on and eggs are just falling out of it yes. onto the floor <laughs> i don't even know if that was intentional or no not, i don't so think it Clintonian. was Oh and my god that's where this goes this doesn't go anywhere else that's like that's the end that's of the, the sketch. thing we cut to the title credits. And it's kind of downhill from there. Nothing is quite that funny, but... But, like, yeah, they show in this documentary, which, again, is um, Too Funny to Fail, which is very good. Um, You can see the live ratings fall as this sketch is going. <laughs> this was hated in a way that is very difficult to understand now. I mean, I... I here's the thing. I This... This was airing at 9.30. 9.30, after Home Improvement. 
That's what I was going to say. It's a bit late in the evening, but it's right after Home Improvement, which was a huge family show. I mean, this was a thing that mom, dad, and the kids would watch together. And then this is like the first three minutes of the next show. Like Home Improvement is the prototypical of on a very special episode kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, and then you can- JD's having problems with drugs or whatever, you know. And then there's Dana Carvey, who's, oh, yeah, the church lady guy from Saturday Night Live. Let's see what this show's all about. So you can and see what they were thinking. Later, yeah. dad and mom are just staring in horror. Like, nothing like this ever happened on television, I don't think. No, I mean, I, I brought up Kids in the Hall, but I don't think Kids in the Hall did anything this gross. There like, was some gross stuff, like, particularly in the last episode of Kids in the Hall, but th- it never had that, that kind of audience. And, let and alone that same weed like an earlier thing like Monty Python had some very gross bits, but Monty Python was so much more made for adults and explicitly like for adults. Like this should be a thing that's like on at 10 o'clock on HBO. Right. This, and then I think it would have, right. Then it would have worked like gangbusters, I think. But no, this is right after home improvement. Like it's, <laughs> it's got home improvements lead in of millions and millions of people watching this horrific thing. When we're done, I want to look up and see what episode of Home Improvement aired right before. Oh, God, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we move on from that. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, nothing, yes, nothing yes, else sure, is we like... We sure do. Like, it's tough to, like, wrap your mind around the rest of the show because it is much more kids in the hallish and much less bizarre than that because yeah, everything it- is. I mean, everything else is is the jo- there are some good sketches and some bad ones, but it's all kind of standard stuff afterwards. And it's kind that that sketch was nothing standard about right. that. It's sort of like a hybrid of Kids in the Hall and SNL. Like, well, it's even a little Letterman like, like calling something the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show, like by having a specific sponsor every week and then taking the title of that sponsor into the show. That's a very like Letterman ish kind of joke. Like, yeah, I don't think we got into that, but this episode is called the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. The next episode is called the Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. The one yes. after that's the Mountain Dew Dana Carvey by show. By the way, it. they started to have a lot of difficulty finding sponsors after that. I, I don't see why. <laughs> Which is why one of the episodes is is literally sponsored by a local Chinese food restaurant. <laughs> but you're right that that's a very David Letterman style joke. It's it it is a little irreverent and it's a little sort of like smirking in a sort of uh boomer in the 90s kind of way, but it's not really crazy. And I like the good jokes never really stop happening here. Like there's a series of photos in the intro that not only, you know, like they start showing younger photos of Dana um, right. <laughs> you know, to introduce him, but then it continues and it shows him aging and dying. Right. And then finally his tombstone <laughs> and his tombstone reads his show was good. We would say great as good, which is a uh, joke. I, I enjoy can I interrupt. Yeah. So on March 12th, 1996, there aired an episode of home improvement called engine and a haircut two fights tim and brad get into a fight over brad's new haircut and the hot rod engine then there is a president with a duck's ass (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile randy doesn't want jill to help him rehearse for an audition to play romeo and then bill clinton has 10 teats and suckles dogs breastfeeding puppies (laughs) actual living puppies and And a cat and kittens that clearly do not want to be there (laughs) Oh, fuck. 
I just have written down why is this on it at 9.30. But, like, this is... Even his stand-up, which is a little tamer than you're used to, he does a little bit of stand-up at the beginning of this. It's, like, it's still pretty great. Like, um, Oh, you want to talk about how this show... You said that, like, the, the, the beginning of the Clinton sketch was a little like Saturday Night Live. No, no, this is... We get the Clinton sketch, then we get the right, right, credits. Right. We might as well have a saxophone going... And then we get a little stand-up monologue before we go into the Except it's sketch. Dana Carvey it's every time, yeah. Exactly Saturday Night Live. Yeah. This and- is this is to Saturday Night Live what Mulaney was to Seinfeld. I wouldn't be that harsh. I would. Because I think Dana Carvey in 1996 is way more entertaining than John Mulaney, who I love to death, was in that show. It's fair. Um... I, I'm I'm not quite as high on the rest of the show as you are. Um, the monologue, for instance, it's there. I didn't. Really it's fine. I don't really fine. remember much of it. But he he has like some thing where he asks audience questions. But the questions oh, that wasn't really that like, good. That you're right. The questions are like, oh, is it the JFK conspiracy or actually a time travel and JFK? Co- eh. Yeah, more, more writers' room shit, and like exactly. <laughs> yeah, we do get a we do he he forces a Johnny Carson impression in there because he just can't help himself. It's yeah, it, he throws in impressions here and there, and you feel like ABC just wanted him to do it more. But um, <laughs> then we get what I enjoy, which is Paul Dana Carvey's Paul McCartney impression, which I love. I see. I didn't care for this sketch that much. I found I don't think uh, it's a great sketch, but I think it it is the best Paul McCartney imitation. It's 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 in line with the the Bill Clinton one, and right. it's doing a good job of Paul McCartney as a person, not an accurate impression. the The basic premise of the sketch is we're interviewing the living Beatles ooh, about um, <laughs> what's it leftover Beatle memories, which also sounds like a really shitty like it sounds improv like thing. It, yeah, it sounds like something they wisely discarded from SNL. I admit that. Yeah, it it sounds like a bad scene from a hat on whose line is it anyways. And you know what the issue here is? Those sketches that they discard from SNL are inevitably like the writers' room's favorite sketches. It's right. just and nobody you can tell else that likes in love with them. this one. Yeah. It, um, so we 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 cut between uh, him doing Paul McCartney and then Colbert is doing George Colbert Harrison. as Harrison is amazing just because it's so unlikely. It's so unlikely. I it fell flat for me. I didn't. There's no he tells. Yeah, it's, it's one sentence. Yeah. It's one story, and it's not a particularly funny story. It's kind of an old joke, like oh, I had to kill someone, and and no one knows about it. Yeah, it's like I mean, I try to give it some. Uh, Credit for being 1996 and how I would have felt seeing it in 1996. Sure, which, I mean, there's a I think less reverence for the Beatles then than there yeah. is now, but like for instance, uh, there's a sketch like that comes up that's stupid pranksters, which I love, but it just doesn't you know it it doesn't have the impact now that it would have then. But I recognize what that impact would have been, so I love it. Yeah, that's the next sketch. It actually comes up twice in this yeah. show. Um, that's my favorite in the show, actually. And this is like a couple pranksters, Dana Carvey and Steve Carell, who... Um, they're they're in their car just laughing, just like... <laughs> yeah, it's their reactions that sell it. Yeah. And like, like stoners, but they're not actually smoking up. They're trying to play pranks on people, but all of their pranks are like things that only hurt them. 
So the first one, they go through a fast food uh, drive-through and they pay for their food and they pay for their drinks and then they they just off drive really off fast. before getting their food, <laughs> right? And they like Corel is just dying. It's great. Oh, he, yes, yeah. it, he's stealing the scene from uh, from Dana Carvey in that sketch. And so it comes up again. Uh, it comes up twice in the show. They yeah, do it twice. I think. Uh, is it a gas the, station? That's the other one. The second one is a gas station. You catch who that gas station attendant was? Who? That is Dino Stamatopoulos. Oh, well, he was a, a writer on this. Yeah, he's a writer on this and Starburns in Community, and uh, probably a bunch of other things. I think he's a big writer in general. Um, I think he's been like a writer with NBC for ages. Now. We do we do a lot of political humor in this thing. Yeah. And it's hit or miss. It's mostly miss. It's mostly miss. I have a hard time it's mostly miss with like one really big big hit. Yeah. It's also hard to to disentangle it from how dated it feels, which is not really a fault of the show because it's doing topical humor, but Watching Steve Forbes in 1996 here in 2020 is kind of don't know or care anything about this guy. Did you know that I have met Steve Forbes? Wow. What was I that sat like? down with Steve Forbes when I was like 15 years old. Did he ask for cocoa? Because that's the joke in this. Sketch. It doesn't really make any sense. But um, Dana Carvey's like mannerisms are dead on. Yeah. Which is not really the case for... So this sketch is uh, sort of a, a campaign update. We're cutting to various primary campaigns for the Republicans. Which is a introduced, tr- which in 96 was the biggest train wreck. Yeah, Jesus. But we're introduced by uh, Dana Carvey, again, doing a Ted Koppel impression. You might have noticed that Dana Carvey is doing a lot of this show. He's uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... it's he's likable and he's very good at what he does is asking a lot of one person on a sketch show to carry every sketch every time. Like his Ted Koppel impression is kind of like a good example of his impressions in general. in that it's like absolutely hideous, but it like, (laughs) it also like really gets to the core of what this person is like. So we cut to, uh, I think it's, um, Smigel is doing Bob Dole, which it's not a good Bob Dole. Not at all. It's not, not very funny. It's just kind of flat. It's I did laugh like... at one part. I laughed at why won't Bob Dole debate me? That oh yeah, Bob Dole good. shouting why won't Bob Dole debate me? I only the only Bob Dole related thing I laughed at was Ted Koppel introducing him as here's Senator Dole now. He looks very old. Can you believe that Bob Dole was a senator for a long time, even after that election? Yeah, he was. Can you believe that anyone that's a senator is a senator? No, these people are they're all dreadful. They're all awful. Dude, I don't even get a senator anymore. Oh, like, yeah. You. Yeah. You live in the district. Yeah, man. It sucks. I get I get no senators. I get an observer hey, man, in Congress. I, I did a candidate to- tweet today that yeah. was in favor yeah. of D.C. statehood. So, Woo! yeah, yeah, we're talking so- shop right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so. Let's talk about impressions that aren't maybe accurate, but they certainly get to the um, heart of the matter. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> we got Pat Buchanan. Yeah, we do. Who's playing Pat Buchanan? Who is playing Pat Buchanan? 
It's lovable Steve Carell who, with this sort of floppy hair and his his little nose there, could not look less like Pat Buchanan. However, no, he doesn't look a lot like him. He acts like him. We are talking about some very disturbing things in light of uh, the last four years. Who, which I noted at the time of 2016, like Buchanan was always the closest parallel, but like remembering 1996 the way I do, we were not ready. So this Pat Buchanan, for instance, makes jokes, makes fucking hilarious jokes because nobody would ever think it was real about how he's going to build a 40-foot wall of barbed wire and reinforced steel along the border with Mexico. And he did, he absolutely did talk about that wall in that campaign because, like, I used to make fun of, like, my parents about it for ages. Everyone did, because yeah. it was a ludicrous thing to say that you were going to do, because it was the we dumbest, stupid fucking thing you could imagine. We literally have one now, kind and of. And yeah! <laughs> How, it went from joke, it went from something so stupid that we would make a joke that that would be the joke in a sketch show to that's real. We've now had, like, three hilarious artistic designs of this thing. <laughs> oh god yeah every time they show oh. the fucking mock-ups and it's like this one's jet black and made of obsidian and you know the art you know the artists aren't even taking this seriously it looks like the fucking eon flux walls you know like in um <laughs> gremlins 2 which you finally did see with me i know my god in person live yes um uh, what back when you could still see people in person Remember that? Remember how I was going to move here? It was going to be so much easier for us to see Yeah, each that other didn't work out, did talk it? over um, Skype. But yeah, like, Billy in Gremlins 2 is an architect, and he's, like, drawing these ridiculous, like, um, Asian-influenced New York buildings, and it's, like, right. it's totally absurd. And that's what these wall mock-ups in, in, in real <laughs> life look like. How did we get here? I don't know. It's fine. So we've actually, we do a couple of these couple and primary things, but I'm just going to lump them all together because the joke's the same every time. We cut back to Buchanan at one point. Steve Carell is just holding a heart in his hand. Yes, he is. I hold in my hand the still beating heart of an illegal immigrant. How tame does this sound now? That just sounds like the kind of prop that they would have at a rally. Like, I could see this actually happening now. Like, it would be a prop, yes. But it's just, it's like, it's so weird watching the show because it sounds like, like Dana Carvey thought that this was being irreverent because boomers were, were, they were going to see what this old guy like <laughs> Pat Buchanan thought and they were just going to laugh their asses off at this fucking crazy old racist well, that they elected Donald Trump. Yeah, they, they promoted one of their own to be even worse. <sighs> it is crazy watching that sketch now. It's literally been 25 years. It was uncomfortable. And, like. Again, same with the Hillary thing. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is a this is the beginning game. of all of it, right? Um, this is what this is the joke that planted the seed for what would become just real, right? Like the joke that Hillary Clinton was an inhuman monster was like a was something that had cachet in 1996. It was ha ha funny then, but it wormed its way into the backs of certain people's minds, and it just grew. Yeah, about forty five percent. Um. <sighs> Yeah, so let's get let's move on from that. Yeah, to the drowsy boy. This one sucks. Yeah, this is the worst sketch of the night. It's basically like the joke is um the senior citizens have these easy chairs that basically turn into mech suits. 
Right. So they can walk around and do the gardening and go to the store, but they're still sitting in a lazy boy. I mean, we can't call it a lazy boy. It's exactly as funny as it sounds. And that's not at all. Yeah. There's no, there's no impressions. And the actual thing, is it really that funny to watch? Um, what did strike me is how god awful expensive this thing must have been because they're showing this drowsy boy's get up, which I assume is just a guy dressed yeah, behind him. Yeah, exactly. But they're like, they're in a rowboat, they're in the park, they're like doing they're, they're all sorts of stuff. Like, it must have cost a fortune. And this leads to another sketch that I love. And this might be something that divides us. I don't know. I don't know your comedy <laughs> preferences well enough. But Germans who say nice things. This was, again, this is my style of humor. It's okay, kids awesome. In the hall. It's a very kids in the hall-esque sketch. Um, you described it as Germans shouting nice things, and that's what it is. That's, again, it's the Smigel thing of, like, tell the audience the joke and then just do the joke. And the joke in this case is a pretty good one. It's just Dana Carvey and Steve Carell standing there shouting things. Yeah, and it's it's all Carell. Like, he is the key to this thing. Like, I think this was a bit he used to do um before this show um okay and carvey just liked it a lot but yeah like he commits to this thing a thousand percent so it's just germans uh in a german accent steve carell yelling extremely nice things like, that's would you all like it a is rub? mr holland's opus is the feel-good movie of the year <laughs> yeah that was the best one but i i was partial to uh i would like to volunteer for the bake sale like I, my understanding is Carell and Colbert got their daily show jobs based on this show. Oh, I believe it. And this is why. Because, like, you can't watch this and think that they are not giving a thousand percent. And, and really, this sketch in particular, I know Anchorman is, what, a good seven or eight years out of, off of this show. But this is basically him practicing that yeah. brick character. A guy who yells things and it's funny. And you know what? It's funny. Like, every time Carvey kind of, like... um echoes his performance like Carell just takes it up another level like he starts moving his arms like really animatedly (laughs) I think for Carvey it was like the it was a funny joke the Germans yell things but it's also that kind of like isn't it like Carvey gives this impression like isn't it funny that we're doing this funny joke right Carell has no room in his mind for that because he's giving all of his mental attention to shouting right it's totally cerebral for for Carvey and for Carell it's like this is a physical performance Right. <laughs> he, he just, he's so into it. And it's like, you don't even think the joke should be funny. And it just is every time. No, it actually like on paper sounds pretty, pretty tame and pretty sort of boring. But you find yourself laughing because they just throw them. I mean, really yeah, like, throws himself into it. Another total writer's room joke where like right. this is something that would not have played on SNL it probably wouldn't have made it to SNL other than like the 1245 sketch spot. It's also tricky because SNL, I mean, most of the sketches on SNL are at least five minutes. And this, you could, if this This is like five minutes, it would have been intolerable. This is a very kids in the hall or again, going back to Robert Smigel, like a TV funhouse kind of thing. Like let's get in there, let's get the joke out and then let's leave. That's a good point that um, this is very different from SNL in that, we are just fine with saying the premises, doing the thing, and getting out. 
yeah, there's they don't spend hardly any of these sketches in this episode at least. They don't spend any time setting stuff up. You know, the way that Saturday Night Live sets up a straight man, and then this person comes in and acts goofy, and the straight man goes, "What's all this then?" And then they all have to end in like one of three ways, you know, and right, it's just it's boring. And this show is kind of like German shouting nice things. The German shout nice things were done, which was the brilliance of Kids in the Hall was that they didn't go through that process. And Monty Python before them was that yes, you could just end a sketch; it doesn't matter. And Monty Python, I mean, was so far ahead of its time that they were already like hanging a lampshade on that. They're ending a sketch before its time and saying, and now for something completely different because they're just like, ah, fuck it, whatever. Right. They're like so antsy that like they've already grown bored of the progress they've made in comedy. (laughs) And they want to tell you that they've grown bored. Whereas a a show like this or Kids in the Hall just kind of cuts away and lets you figure it out. Kids in the Hall is like, hey, maybe we could use this for a little bit longer. <laughs> we're in, yeah, can- we're in I like Canada. I that show, but some of those dreads. I haven't watched it in a really long time. I was obsessed with it in my first year of college. What's your favorite sketch? Oh, that's pretty easy. Um, there is a sketch oh, wow. where um, Mark McKinney sees an Oompa band in his head. <laughs> Like, whenever he daydreams, and he thinks that everybody else sees this Oompa <laughs> band as well. Like, he can't actually daydream. Okay. Um, he, he just sees this same Oompa band, um, and they play the same song every time. Um, Kevin McDonald hits, like, a, a little triangle at the end of the song every time. He doesn't understand the concept of daydreaming, and somehow, like, they construct entire sketches around this about him bringing this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest shit I have ever seen on television. But that's the kind of thing that I loved about kids in the yeah. world. They just did weird shit like that. I mean, I'm always I'm I'm always gonna be partial to I'm crushing your head, you know, which is just about a guy who walks around pinching people using an optical illusion with his fingers and saying, I'm crushing your head. Which I believe is the one thing they let them take to Well, that and Chicken Lady they took to SNL. Um okay. Mark McKinney took to the SNL. But yeah, I mean that's uh, there's something there's something random about it, but it's still it's not just random like last week's show. Oh boy, that show. Ugh. Random. So following our I think Dana uh, Carvey's better than Weird Al, fight me. Um I think at his peak he was certainly much Have you ever seen Dana Carvey do his Neil Young impression? No. It's amazing. Find it. Have you ever seen Master of Disguise? I have not. I haven't either. I'm real. I mean, I know it's terrible, and I refuse to watch it because it'll just be really sad, and I really don't want to feel that depressed about Dana Carvey. Yeah, I I think there were some bad decisions made. He made a lot of decisions also based on like his family situation. Is my understanding? Uh... Like he had a couple kids in like, and they lived in Connecticut, like people in New York tend to do. Um, well, rich people. Yeah, rich people in New York tend to do is commute from Connecticut. And <laughs> um, yeah, that's why he actually did this show um, instead of doing like a late night show, because he didn't want to do like a five day a week schedule. I can respect that. And honestly, like I said, I, I think that the marketing for the show is not the marketing, the time slot, all that sort of thing are flops, but the actual material I think is fine. If and there I, are some misses, my but under- it's not like it's... Yeah, my understanding is the show gets better as it goes, too, so I might actually watch the rest of it. 
Yeah, I'd be tempted to at least pick up. I, I scanned the list of episode titles and the list of sketches in them, and I kept going like, oh, I want to watch that. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, oh, I'll probably. It's all on Crackle. I'll probably watch it. But we're not even it's done on, yet. It's all on Hulu, too. So you don't need the shitty commercials on Crackle. Crackle. Who needs Crackle except for Jerry Seinfeld and his cars? And we had to watch 1600 Pen and Mr. Sunshine on Crackle. Dark days. 1600 Pen really wasn't that bad. Wasn't it, though? Well, we are off track. Um, Gad. We have Stu Harburger, the ABC executive. Yeah. I believe this, this was a recurring part. I just love this accent he's doing because he consistently calls Dana Carvey Daner Carvey. But that's like, that's the joke. That's it? it. It's like, it's sort of Boston. Eh? Daner Carvey eh. is never not funny. And Daner Carvey is not funny to me. I'm sorry. See, is this where we disconnected on like on, on 1600 Pen itself? I Yes, because somebody came up and said Daner on 1600 Pen. <laughs> and, and I was just, I was dying. Josh yes. Gad. I was dying about it. And you just you, you, you couldn't find you couldn't find the funny and i still can't so we find we get as a part of this sketch um which is where uh abc executive is talking about um how in a, a pretty unfunny joke they're talking about how like disney basically just bought the rights to everything from dana carvey's back catalog right and so but also everybody else's back catalog so we have the church lady doing david letterman's top 10 list Right. And then we get some really unfortunately timed attacks on Princess Diana. <laughs> Boy, it is it is a top ten list of the new nicknames for Princess Diana. All of which all ten of which, and I got issues with this that I'll bring up yeah. here in a minute, but all ten of which revolve around calling Princess Diana a slut about a year before she dies. Almost died. exactly a year before she dies. Almost to the day, yeah. It's it's an uncomfortable watch. Yeah, um, to be honest, and I am a fan of the David Letterman top 10 lists in that they were, like, a big part of my childhood with comedy. Sure. Like, reading those books over and over again, like, of the top 10 lists was something I did a lot. I'm uh, not saying you had a sad childhood, so let's move on. I mean, you can judge all you want, but I enjoyed those books. It's roughly as clever as a Letterman top 10 list, which is not very... Yeah. It's not, and honestly, like, if you're going to take the exact same format, it's like, I was expecting it to be tweaked in some way. Nope. I was expecting, like, I thought, like, maybe number three would be uh, uh, the angel of our hearts or something like that, and then the church lady wouldn't want to say it. But no, the church lady is just like, slut, slut, yeah. princess orgasmia. Like, yeah, and, and then, some, of them, some of them were actually a little too creative for a David Letterman top ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and the, the church lady is like, here's the thing is like the church lady is a classic character, and which I don't I even like. Why, yeah, but that's what I was going to say. I see why he would want to bring that in. But it's not it's not ever really been one of my favorites. And by 95, 96, it's a pretty tired routine. It's probably like it was probably his most popular character, if I had to guess. I would think and so. Yeah. I have no idea why, because I have never loved that character. It's it's fine in the right context, but eh. it's one of those characters that like only got funny in maybe the third or fourth iteration when they started subverting it a little bit. Yes. Like having her dance and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. She can break it down. But like the basic concept is pretty boring. 
And and by the time you get here, it's really old and stale, and they're not doing anything new or exciting with it. Like, Christian hypocrisy, yes, is ripe for mockery, but, like, it's pretty tame now. Yeah. So that sketch was kind of a, a pass for me in general. But I didn't find Daner as funny as Dave, and I don't Look, find if David I, Letterman tenless as funny as Dave. I could read those things. Book. I could read those things to this day and laugh at man, them. Man, that is just you got better things to do, man. Well, no, I mean, not do anymore. I? No, we're all stuck inside reading top ten lists from the nineties. I mean, the other thing I'm reading is a book about Chernobyl. So I mean, it, oh god. <laughs> That's almost as depressing as a David Letterman top 10 list. <laughs> it's almost as depressing as the reality in which we live. Oh. So this is pretty much actually where the show, where the show is, is over. Yeah. The church lady ends up dancing with the taco mascot and the bell mascot because we're really embracing this whole. It's funny that we've named the show after Taco Bell because they're the sponsor gag. Yeah. which uh... It's fine. It could have been funnier, but it was. It was a, it was a fine enough for like a the credits roll over it kind of thing, and then we cut back to Ted Koppel for a bit, and then we Paul cut back McCartney to Paul for a bit. We're just we're 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 revisiting all those greatest hits from the last from the, 20 the episode the you just watched. <laughs> uh, that was actually I actually enjoyed that Paul McCartney bit more than I did the ones in the show proper because he's just making goofy dumb sounds, and I I. Which is yeah, which is the sounds. heart of that Paul McCartney impression is that he literally does that shit. Yeah, it's bobbity boobity haba. Yeah, like the fact that he never have. If you've seen interviews with Paul McCartney in reality, like he doesn't say words nearly as often <laughs> as he should. He used them all up writing all of those great songs. Here's the Paul. All of those hits, have, they just kept coming, have you and seen, then they dried up. Have you seen that movie yesterday? No, I watched it when I, um, in certain circumstances, and it was really bad, regardless. <laughs> oh, do do you see that across the universe film? I will not watch that film. Well, you'll watch yesterday. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> so, one one thing you notice about yeah. this show overall is that it is very white, and it is extraordinarily male. Yes. Uh, so kids in the hall are very much coming at the expense of women, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Princess Diana. There's not a lot uh, of that, but there's there's like a little. There's enough that you notice. Yeah. And then yeah, the uh, it's it's a pale show. Yeah, there is not a single um, person of color in this cast. No, this whole episode, not even the extras. They couldn't get a, a African American guy to like work at the drive through. There even. is one woman in the regular cast. Um, maybe she has a great a bigger part in the later episodes. I don't know, but she's barely in this one. Yeah. So it's there's that's definitely worth noting. Um but overall, what did what did you think of the show? I liked it a lot, actually. Um yeah. a lot of it was maybe nostalgia um for that era of comedy but i don't think that was most of it i think i genuinely enjoyed this one yeah i i liked it i didn't love it uh that opening sketch had me laughing way more than i expected from something called the dana carvey show um the rest yeah of it you thought hit... this was gonna be horrendous yeah i well our initial well... conversation it was like oh my god that sounds awful 
Yep, but uh, no, I was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't all hits, it wasn't all misses, but honestly, with sketch comedy, you're not going to get all hits, um, whether that's Monty Python, Saturday Night Live, Kids in the Hall, or Dana Carvey Show, and I found the hits were worth sticking around for, so I I, I probably would watch another couple episodes of this and, and I'm definitely see if there's going anything to. good. Yeah, uh, so I think this is like a dual recommend. I think we're both recommending for the first yes! time in a while recommend from the future it's me from the future coming to recommend the dana carvey show i might watch some of them tonight wow yeah. spicy i mean it's not so, it's not really spicy exactly i don't know where that's coming little, from it's a little spicy i mean no no so, <laughs> a little pepper on that i mean not, not really if you want to get so a if you want to get in touch with <laughs> Uh, no, if you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Twitter. That's at my mother podcast, or you can email us directly. That's my mother, the podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is the place where we post several tweets about every episode. And then when people die, right? So that's <laughs> kind of what Twitter is for. Um, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, rate review the show, which helps us out. It helps people find the show. We like hearing from you. And then, um, what should people uh, say in the little ratings box? Oh if boy, I have thought comment? about this not at all. Um, fuck. Tell us, have you cut your own hair yet? Oh boy. Yeah. My answer is yes. And how did it turn out? Is the is the second question I want you to answer. My answer is, if you cut it short enough, fine. As as my bangs reveal, I have not. <laughs> you are looking, um, you belong in an 80s band by now. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Like, my, um, the place where I get haircuts, like, they sent me an email where they were like, we're going to be open for May 15th if you want to come. And I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh... You guys sound like you'll be pretty busy. Yeah. Um. Oh, wait. You insist that everyone wear a mask. And, uh, uh, this sounds like I might die. <laughs> well, on that happy death note. Death note is another easy. show that we're not watching. <laughs> Thank you for for mentioning that. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs>